So why don't I pray, and then um, I'll do my best to try and explain that passage. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, it trains us and corrects us. And, Lord, everything that we need for life and godliness is contained in it. And I pray that um, that that would happen this morning, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I was on, I had a few days off, and my wife and I went down to San Diego, and I was like, okay, I need a book to read that's not like a work book. You know, something that I can just enjoy sitting by the pool because you weren't allowed to go in it because, you know, pandemic. But you could sit near it. Uh, so apparently, it, you know, COVID doesn't float above the pool, just in it. And uh, so I was sitting next to the pool and I thought, you know, I'm going to read a book I read a long time ago from my favorite author, C.S. Lewis. So I read The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, um, The Great Divorce is basically, it's a, see what I mean? There goes a, there goes a rug. Um, the Great Divorce is... Uh, is a fable, and it tells in it all these little stories, and, and one of them is a fable about a young man who, he's sort of lived his whole life with, again, it's a fable, okay, with a red lizard on his shoulder. So he, he's walked through his whole life, and there's this red lizard that just lives on his shoulder, and it's, that lizard is a, an allegory for, uh, like, a habitual sin, something in his life that he just can't get rid of. It's just there, it's always there always encouraging him to, to go back into that sin. It's just always there. Uh, the image is something that, um, it's of something that at first he hated. So, you know, when this red lizard shows up, he, he hates it, doesn't want it. Um, but then he's grown so accustomed to it, it's, it's actually just become part of the fabric of his life. It, it's, it's become his companion. Um, he has a relationship with this red lizard. And so it's no longer something he hates, but something he ends up finding comfort in becomes his comfort and the young man he both wants it gone but at the same time he can't imagine life without it so he's got this tension this is going on in his life and in this fable an angel comes to him this glowing red being comes to him and he says to him uh would you like me to make him quiet do you want me to make him quiet and the young man says well of course i would but then the angel says okay well then i I will have to kill him and the young man says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wasn't looking for anything that drastic. I, like, if you could just make him be quiet, that'd be fine. I wasn't looking for, for him to die. And the angel tells him, the only way to really make him quiet is to kill him. And so now the young man is torn. On the one hand, he wants this part of his life gone. But on the other hand, he can't imagine life without it. And that's the tension he finds himself in. And the point of the fable is for you and I, the reader to pause and to recognize and to think, well, what's, what's my red lizard? What's the red lizard on my shoulder? Uh, the point is that each of us has a part of our lives, a repeated action, a thought, or a way of thinking. On the one hand, like if, if somebody only knew, you'd be totally ashamed. But on the other hand, you can't imagine life without it. It's become very much part of your life. It actually has become a comfort. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't have to nod, because I know you know. (laughs) I know you know. Well, back to the fable. As you read on, what you find out is that the only thing standing in the way of this young man being free from the red lizard, the thing that's plagued his entire life, the only thing in the way of him being completely renewed is himself. He's the only thing standing in the way. The angel tells him, look, just say the word and I'll do it. 
But the young man, he hesitates. He wrestles. He wants it gone, but then he doesn't want it gone. He, he's back and forth. As you read through the, the fable, he, just, he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He can't decide what he wants. And this part of the fable shows us the very same thing that today's passage is about. It shows us the thing most in the way of freedom from sin, most in the way of freedom from uh, the things that, that you just want out of your life, the thing that's most in the way of you being renewed, remade, is me, it's you. We're the thing that's in the way. And as we've gone through Ephesians in the first half, what we saw over and over again is this idea of renewal. Renewal is, is that, uh, the way that God makes us new, that he takes the old things in us and he cleanses them out and he makes us new. Um, and we've seen that over and over again, but what we've seen is how it works. So for all of chapters one through three, what you see over and over again is that renewal being made new, being set free from the things that hinder you, all of that always comes from the outside in. So you can't look deep enough inside and find it. It always comes from the outside in. And as we turn the corner now to the second half of the book, we're going to see that once renewal gets in, once it gets inside of you, then it always works itself out. It always works itself out in your life and how you live. It changes you. It transforms your action your thoughts, your practical day-to-day life. And so the only thing that's stopping you is you. So how does our little fable end? What happens to the red lizard and the young man? Well, you have to keep listening to find out. I'm gonna gonna hold that back from you. For now, I'll tell you later though, don't worry. We'll, We'll find out. But first, what our passage does is it gets really, really practical into how to change your life. It shows us how to get the life you want, how to become um, renewed, how to, how to get to where you want to be. And I don't mean, by the way, it shows you how to become healthy and wealthy. That's not what the passage is about. In fact, the Bible's not really about that. What I mean is it, it actually shows you how to get wisdom, how to have integrity, how to love, how to have peace, how to have joy. How do you get that? Well, that's what this passage shows us how to start. Um, and so we're going to see three things in it. First, we're going to see the kind of life that renewal brings. Secondly, then, we're going to see uh, why it is that we're always getting in the way. Why, why do you always find yourself falling back into that old pattern? And then thirdly, we're going to see, then, how do we get out of the way and let renewal take its course? So that, that's what we're going to see. So first, the kind of life that renewal brings. Have, have a look again at the text. Um, in verse 20, he mentions the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. So he's talking about a, a way of living, the way of life. And then in verse 22, he talks about your former way of life, an old way of living, the the way that you used to live. And what he's saying is that a Christian has a new way of life and a Christian has a former way of life. And there was a life you lived when you weren't a Christian, and and now if you are a Christian, then there's a life that that you now live. Uh, And then to make the point even more, in verse 24, he writes this. He says, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness, and holiness. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this old way of life, this new way of life, and he talks about putting on a new self. Um, so it's not just a new way of life, but a whole new person, a new self. And in the original language, the, the grammar of that sentence, of verse 24, is it's really, really awkward. It's one of those sentences that um, is actually pretty hard to translate. And so the NIV translation that you have there on the website, it does its best to kind of smooth it out for us. But I think the awkward translation like actually making it sound awkward helps you to understand it a little bit better. So it um, helps us see the finer point that he's trying to make. So here's, a, here's an awkward way of putting it um, in the New American Standard Bible, uh, verse 24, and to put on the new self, 
which in God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Okay, it's awkward. It doesn't quite get us where we need to go. So let's smooth it out a bit more. Here's another uh, very, very rigid, awkward translation of this verse. And to put on the new self, created in God's likeness, in the righteousness and holiness that come from the truth. That clears it up, doesn't it? It makes it really easy to understand. <laughs> it's a hard one. But here's the point I want you to see. It talks about, uh, especially in that awkward one, um, the translation says created in God's likeness. In his likeness. What does it mean to be created in someone's likeness? Well, I am created in the likeness of the Lippold clan, okay? Or this weird mix of German-Norwegian people. Um, I'm created in that, and so this gap that's in my teeth, uh, this is not cosmetic. I didn't go to the dentist and be like, hey, give me the gap. Um, I was born with that. Uh, I tried to get rid of it, and it came back, okay? Uh, and uh, if, um, so this is a family trait. My dad, before he got new teeth, which he has now, he had the same gap. So that's how you knew we were related, because I'm like half a foot taller than him. So, uh, so you'd be like, is he really your son? And then we'd both smile and be like, oh, yeah, okay, of course he is. Uh, or over the past year, I've spent hours and hours on Zoom calls. Anyone else been like spent too much time on Zoom calls? You know the weird thing about Zoom is uh, if you don't turn your like camera, like your monitor off, you're just staring at your face for hours and hours on end. Is anyone experiencing that? That's driving me crazy. So, uh, so you end up spending hours and hours every day just actually looking at yourself, at your own facial, like the way you respond, the way you talk. And I noticed something, and it really bothered me uh, about six months ago. Um, and I'm actually really glad Emmy's not here to hear this because it might actually ruin everything if she heard this. Um, I make my brother's facial expressions, and that really bothers me. I'm my own person, and actually he and I are so different in appearance, you wouldn't know that we're related. If he was standing here right now, you would just think he's some random guy. Um, we're totally different in appearance and personality and height, everything. If you saw us in the same room, you'd never, ever guess that we were related. And yet, after spending a year on Zoom looking at my own face for hours and hours every single day, I realized that I make the same facial expressions as him. And so I am created in the likeness of my family. I can't escape it. I'm created in that likeness. Uh, uh, but what this text is saying is that to be a Christian is actually to be recreated, to, to put on the new self. So that's the, the idea here, is that you, you take on the family traits of this family that you're created into. So back to our verse, here's that awkward translation again. And to put on the new self, created in God's likeness, in the righteousness and holiness that come from the truth. In other words, to become a Christian is to be recreated. To be renewed into a being that now, do you know what your new fundamental trait is? Your new fundamental trait is that you are righteous and holy. That's the family trait, that you're created in God's image. And so that means you take on his fundamental thing about him, his righteousness and his holiness. Think about it this way. Think of, think of the caterpillar. Remember the hungry caterpillar? Uh, when a caterpillar is born or hatched or whatever, whatever this gross thing does to come into existence, a caterpillar is fundamentally a creepy crawly. Right? Like if you see one, if it crawls on your leg or your shoulder, you, you like you, you flick it off because it's gross. Um, it's actually it's a larva. Did you know that a caterpillar is a larva? Larvae are gross. Okay, so uh, they crawl on the ground. They they're on the plants in your garden, and they're just creepy. And you wouldn't want one on you. 
but then what happens? Right? It, it makes a cocoon. It goes into their cocoon, and after a few weeks, it comes out a beautiful butterfly. It's recreated, reborn, and it becomes a fundamentally different thing. It becomes fundamentally not a creepy crawly, but a flying beauty. The kind of thing that if it lands on your shoulder, you, you don't move because you just you want it there. That's a Christian. The former way of life, it says here in verse 22, it's corrupted. In verse 18, it says that you're separated from the life of God, that you're hard-hearted. In other words, fundamentally, you're corrupted. You're a hard-hearted rejecter of God. That's the old life. But the new life means a Christian is recreated in God, fundamentally connected now to the life of God. Like his life flows into your life. The renewed Christian becomes the flying beauty. And that's the kind of life that renewal, Christian renewal brings. Brings that kind of life, a new life. Now I told you I would finish the fable, so here we go. Um, Eventually the young man, he gives in to the angel's uh, request to kill the red lizard. And uh, I'm, I'm actually going to read to you how, how Lewis tells the story. So the burning one, that's the angel. Okay. So the burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed and flung it broken back on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the young man, reeling backwards. And then the narrator, for a moment, I can make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing ever more solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man. Then brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. And if my attention had not wavered, I should have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man. Now what's he saying? What's the point that the fable is making? point is that when you finally get out of the way, when you finally allow God to come, come into your life and renew you from the inside, you become more human than you ever were before. Solider, he says. Because God's life then comes into your life. The, the actual, the life of the creator, who you are recreated in, his life comes into your life. You're created in him, which means you take on his likeness, the likeness of righteousness and holiness. So that's, that's how the fable goes. Let me try and ground this in reality for you. The life of a Christian actually becomes then a life of distinction. You, you look and live and talk distinctly different from people who aren't Christians. As a Christian puts off the old self and puts on the new, in other words, as the Christian is continually renewed, recreated, as the life of God comes into your life, you find yourself becoming more patient, more loving, especially to those who are very, very different from you. You find yourself being more generous. You find yourself becoming more kind, more full of peace, more full of joy, more sacrificial, more of a servant, more bold, more caring, more righteous, more giving. Because look at where it comes from. Look at verse 24. Again, in your translation, it doesn't quite say it this way, but in the awkward translations, it says that, that you're created in God's image, 
in righteousness and holiness that come from the truth. That's what it really says. That comes from the truth, which means it's a byproduct of this truth. This new life that you have is actually a byproduct of the truth that comes into your life. But as this truth enters your life, you become more and more of these things. Loving, generous, bold, sacrificial, righteous, holy. And what is that truth? Well, we're going to come back to that later. But the truth, if you look back up in verse 21, is the person and life of Jesus. He is the truth, and his life, as his life flows into your life, you become more and more alive, more and more your new self, more and more solid, like like the fable. More and more the flying beauty, as his life becomes yours. And so if that's the life that renewal brings, then the question is, you know, okay, obviously we want that, right? So the question becomes, well, why don't we have it? What, what is it that gets in the way? Because we're always getting in the way. Why is that? Well, that's our second point. Why do we always get in the way? And Paul shows that to us in verses 17 to 19. So back to our fable. For the young man in the fable, the red lizard had become this companion of his, remember? He'd become his friend. Something he couldn't imagine living without. Well, the red lizard, it's, it's an allegory for his desires. It's an allegory for his sin nature. And so what it's saying is the young man made his desires his friend, made him his companion. Something he had to please, someone he wanted to entertain to keep happy. And that's a really good picture of what's happening in verses 17 to 19. Look again, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Did you see that phrase in there? They've given themselves over. In other words, what this is saying is the reason I don't have the kind of life that Christian renewal really brings, or at least not in its fullness. Do you know what it's saying? It's saying it's because I have given myself over to my desires. I've given myself over to my desires. Why do I do that? To indulge it, to make it happy, to entertain it. You can personify it all you want. Does it call it a red lizard if you want? But in the end, it's you. It's your desires that you're entertaining. That's what it's saying. You're the one in the way of the life that renewal brings. Um, confession to make. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Gilmore Girls. I know, I know some of you are too. It's okay. It was a good show. The new season doesn't exist, but it was a good show. And, uh, you know, Emmy and I would watch this show all the time, and I would say in every single episode, uh, there's one character, the, the sort of mom, the single mom of the daughter. The daughter is like the moral center of the show. She always does everything right, does it all, you know, according to the book. And her mom is like a mess. So she's constantly making bad decisions, constantly ruining her life. And at some point in every episode, I would look over at Emmy and be like, oh, Lorelai. She's her own worst enemy. I said every episode to the point where Emmy is like, I'm not going to watch this show with you anymore if you keep saying that. Um, but it was just so, like, that was the, the theme of every show, is like this juxtaposition between the moral center of the show, the daughter, and the mom, who's her own worst enemy, constantly just making life hard for herself. And that's what Paul's trying to say. When he says they've given themselves over, he's saying, you're your own worst enemy. That's the reason that you fall back into these things. You're your own worst enemy. Now, that word in there for impurity, it definitely means what you think it does. So it definitely does mean uh, sexual impurity and, and those kinds of desires. But it actually, that, the word there carries with it any kind of thought, any kind of speaking. 
any kind of action that is not godly, that's not characterized by God's life, right? It's not, a, it's not his life flowing into yours. It's, it's, it's another life flowing out into yours. So it's not characterized by his righteous and holy life. And, and notice it says that they're full of greed. And now that's also, it's not, you, you hear that and you think money. It's, it could be that, but it's not really talking directly about money. It's saying the reason that we don't have the kind of life that Christian renewal brings is because we indulge in our desires in a greedy way. That we always want more, but never enough. Our desires are never fully satisfied. They're never fully entertained. They're like a Netflix binge, you know? Just one more episode. I'll just watch one more. And then it's one more, and then it's one more, and it's one more. Our desires are like that. Just one more time. I've got to make it happy. I've got to satisfy it. The Apostle Paul expresses this really well in Romans 7. Um, You probably know this passage. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For we have the the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. Can you identify with that? That's what he's getting at when he says that like you want to indulge these desires in a greedy way. Why do we do that? I mean, if you're a Christian, you must know something of the life that's offered, something of this renewed, recreated life, the flying, beautiful life. And yet we still reject it. We still choose to go back into the old thing. Why do we do that? Well, it says actually in here in verse 17 and 18, there's three reasons here. Um, and it's basically saying that sin has crept into three areas of our life, to our mind, to our heart, and to our actions. And we already saw in verse 19 how it's crept into our actions. Uh, we don't have the life renewal brings because we indulge our sinful desires with our actions. So let's look at the other two, our mind and our heart. First, the mind. He says it actually in three ways. He talks about the futility of our thinking in verse 17, uh, being darkened in our understanding, and having ignorance in verse 18. And he says in verse 17 that this way of thinking, this mindset, the way of living, he calls it a Gentile way. Um, And he's not making an ethnic or racial statement. It's a spiritual moral statement. He's using it to describe anyone who doesn't have Christ in their lives. He talks about them as a Gentile. Or as he says, he says it pretty clearly in verse 18. He says, this way of living, this way of thinking is to be separated from the life of God. That's what he says in verse 18. And he's talking about a person who has no relationship with God through Christ. But remember, he's writing this, this letter is not like a, he's not sending this out to non-Christians. He's writing this to a church. So he's writing this to Christians. And he says to them, you're a new creation created in God. And so I insist that you don't go on living in this unspiritual sort of way. And uh, here he's talking about the mind. So what's he getting at? Well, when you face a problem, when you face a challenge, a temptation, where does your mind go? Where does your mind go? Where do you go to work out the solution? Who is it that you talk to about it to help you with the solution? Where does it go? Where do you get your advice from? Where do you get your wisdom? What Paul is saying is there's a way of living that's putting on the new self where you actually, you take into your mind the mind of Christ. putting on the new self, you're actually taking on the mind of Christ. You're you're gaining his wisdom, his truth. 
And you get that in all sorts of ways. You get it from reading and from knowing scripture, from meditating on it, from talking to other Christians about it, from asking them what they think the Bible says about this situation in your life or that situation or your struggle or your temptation. And so one way that we get in the way of the life that renewal offers is actually in our minds. And, and really what Paul's saying is we don't take in the mind of Christ. We take in all sorts of other things, but we're not taking in the mind of Christ. And so that's one way we get in the way. Uh, but also, he says it happens in our heart. Look at verse 18. Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, what's the heart? The heart is the center of a person's being. If the mind is where you think, then the heart is where you make decisions. And then the body is where you act them out, right? So you see all three things going on here. The mind, the heart, the actions. Um, and in a sense, the heart is the seat of our character. It's where our character comes from. And the picture here is, is of a hardened heart. One that's not willing to undergo transformation. A hard heart all through the Bible is a metaphor for an unbelieving heart or a stubborn heart or a sinful heart. And so if we put this all together, then what we get is a picture of a darkened mind, a hard heart, and a body that is never satisfied so it indulges itself with all kinds of corrupt actions. In other words, sin has worked its way into our entire being, our mind, our heart, and our body. And that's the reason. That's the reason why you're always getting in the way. Sin has worked itself into your mind, your heart, your, your actions. And that's the life that we have. That's why we're always getting in the way. Our minds are dark, our hearts are hard, our actions are corrupt, and so we're our own worst enemy always getting in the way. Should we just end there? <laughs> We'd all go home pretty depressed, I think. How do, you, how do you get out of the way? How do you get out of the way? How do you get the life that renewal brings? How do you allow God's Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside? Because remember what we were saying all through Ephesians. Renewal, it always comes from the outside in. But once it's in, it works itself out. So let's look at that. How do you get out of the way? That's point three. We've seen already in verses 17 to 19, the reason we're always in the way is our mind, our heart, our actions are corrupted by sin. But I, I want you to see now, I want you to see that those three places are also the three places where you begin to receive this renewed life. Uh, look at the words Paul uses in verses 20 to 24. Uh, notice all the, the mind words that are in here. Verse 20, the way of life you learned. Verse 21, you heard and were taught in him in accordance with the truth. These are all mind words. Uh, verse 22, you were taught. So that's the mind. Uh, but notice also in verse 23, he talks about the heart. And to be slightly confusing, he uses the word mind when he says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. But that phrase, attitude of your mind, all through the New Testament, actually is talking about the heart. I know it's confusing. I'm sorry. I should have picked different words, but whatever. Um, so the phrase attitude of your mind in the New Testament, it's that metaphor for the heart. And so we can be renewed in the mind and in the heart. And then finally in our actions, verse 22, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, right? There's the actions. Verse 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteous, righteous actions, holy actions, holy thinking, all of that. And so do you see what this is saying? It's saying that though our minds are darkened, our hearts are hardened, our actions are corrupted, it's actually saying we can be made new. We can be new in our minds, softened in our hearts, holy and righteous in our actions. How do we do that? 
Well, do you remember that more awkward translation, probably closer to the original in verse 24? And to put on the new self created in God's likeness and the righteousness and holiness that come from the truth. Now remember what that's saying. It's saying righteousness and holiness, they come from truth. They're, they're the byproduct of truth. And so that when the, that truth enters into your life, you become more and more of these things. You become righteous and holy, and that works itself out in how you love people and how you serve people and sacrifice and all of that. And so what's the truth? Well, it says in verse 21, it says, You heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So what's the truth? The truth is the person and the life of Jesus. That's the truth. He's the truth, and it's his life that flows into your life. And as he does that, you become more and more alive, more and more your new self, right? Like in the fable, more solider. More and more the flying beauty as all that is his becomes yours. And so you see, when you take the truth about Jesus Christ into your life, that's when renewal begins. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says that when you take the truth of Jesus Christ into your life, it puts it this way. It says that you have been made alive. You were dead, but in Christ you have been made alive, recreated, renewed. And so when you take the truth about Jesus into your life, your mind is enlightened, your heart is softened, your actions are purified, and in fact you start doing all kinds of things that renewed righteous and holy uh, actions that you never dreamed of doing before. You never would have dreamed of doing these things before. If you read through the book of Ephesians, what you see is that when you take the truth of Jesus Christ into your life, you end up serving and loving people who are very, very, very different from you. People who previously would have been your enemies, it says. You end up with a heart that worships rather than complains. You end up with a mind that is no longer set on the self. As you read on in the book, what you find is that uh, marriages are like renewed and strengthened when people take the life of Christ into them. You find out that, that family relationships between parents and children are renewed, that relationships in your work are renewed. You find that relationships between people of different races, people of different backgrounds, people of different uh, socioeconomic, they're all brought together. And that says the life of Christ flows into your life. But first, you have to hear the truth. It says right here in verse 21, when you heard about Christ. So I want to make sure you heard about him. Maybe you've heard about him before. But I want to make sure you've heard about him. Here's the truth. It's that Jesus Christ, God the Son, who eternally existed, eternally existed with God the Father and God the Spirit, Jesus Christ, who is wrapped for all of eternity in love of the Father and of the Spirit, and he is glorious and radiant. It says that he came down. He came down to the world that he created and he actually became one of us. And out of compassion, he, he did that out of compassion because our minds are darkened, remember? Our hearts are hard, our actions are corrupted by sin. It actually says that we've rejected him. And yet out of compassion, he comes to renew us, to recreate us, to save us because our darkened mind, our hard hearts, our corrupt actions, they've created like an allergy. Like we just don't want God around. We wanna reject him. And because God is a just God, because he's a righteous God, it means he demands justice for our wrongs, for every wrong thought, for every wrong word, every wrong action that we've ever done, and for our rejection of him. But you know what else the Bible says about God? It says that he is love. Not that he's loving, but that he is love. 
And so even though he's righteous, he is righteousness. He is also love, and so he has compassion on us. And so God still loves us in spite of our rejection of him, in spite of all the wrong that we've done. And so God, the son, Jesus Christ, he comes as a man and he dies. And it's when Jesus Christ dies on the cross that the harmony of God's love and justice are put on display. You see both his love and his justice happening at the same time. The cross reveals God's righteousness, his justice requiring a penalty for our sins, but also reveals the depths of his love for us. Because in his son, he offers the required penalty. And not only that, but after Jesus Christ died, he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He's renewed. And he's the first fruits of our renewal. But because he rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. That is the truth about Jesus Christ. That is the truth about Jesus Christ. That's the truth from which our righteousness and holiness come. And so do you want to be righteous and holy? Do you want to be free from the red lizard on the shoulder? Do you want to be renewed? Do you want to put off the old self that's being corrupted? Are you tired of doing that same thing that you're ashamed of again and again? And what this text is saying is that you can be free. You can be renewed by taking the truth of Jesus Christ into your life. Specifically into your mind, specifically into your heart, into your actions. And it even tells us how to do it, by the way, in this passage. As you see it in verse 22 and 24, it's as simple as putting off some old clothes and putting on some new ones. This is to put off the old self and put on the new. And in one sense, when he says that, Paul's talking about something that's already happened. If you're a Christian, it's something that's already happened. When you became one, the old self was done away with then. And the new self was put on. But of course, our experience tells us that practically there's still a long ways to go, isn't there? A long ways to go to become this fully new self, the fully renewed self. And so it happens little by little in our minds as we take in the mind of Christ through his word. It happens little by little as we take in the heart of Christ by loving what he loves. It happens little by little as we take in the actions of Christ, as we do the kinds of things that Jesus does, serving and sacrificing for others. Um, let me try and illustrate this for you and then we'll be done. Um, and by the way, I used this very same illustration a few weeks ago at our midweek study. So I apologize if this is a refresher for you, but I, I can't think of a better way of illustrating what this text is talking about. So um, some of you will know that I, there was a time when I was into cycling. I guess I still am. I just don't ride. I don't know if, I don't know if that means you're still into it, but anyway... And uh, when I first got serious about it, some friends told me, hey, if you really are going to be serious about this and ride as much as you are, then you need to get clip-in pedals. Um, do you remember the story? Some of you. So I was like, okay. So I bought the clip-in pedals, and, um, and I just kept falling over. So like, you, you're like stuck to your bike. Uh, and so you come to a stop, and if you don't get a foot out, then you're just going to fall over. And so I kept doing that, and then I asked my friends, like, well, okay, keep falling over. What should I do? And, and my friend said to me, um, just decide right now that you'll always clip out the same foot. That every time you're coming to a stop, you'll always clip out the same foot. And then just practice that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so I did that. I would just get on my bike and I would like lean up against the wall and I decided my right foot was always the foot. So I did that for years. Uh, I did that, I, I still to this day, that's how I would do it. And so when I ride a bike, even if I don't have clipping pedals, I always put my right foot down. It's just, it's ingrained in me after days, weeks, months, years of just always thinking the same thing, always doing the same action over and over and over again. Repeated thought, repeated action. Uh, that saved my life a couple of years ago. Um, I was riding in a city, 
and I was turning a corner and I got clipped by a taxi and I started to fall back into the street and coming behind me was a city bus flying up the street about as fast as it could go. And I'm like, I didn't, your mind is not clear in that moment, okay? When you're hit by something and you're about to fall over, your mind is not clear. You're not thinking, oh, I should do this, I should do that. I just went into like reaction mode. And do you know what I did? Because in my mind over and over again, I just thought, clip right, unclip my right foot, unclip my right foot. I unclip my right foot, I put my foot down. I stop myself from falling over as the bus comes sailing by me at like 40 miles an hour. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. This is how it works. It's how you stop being your own worst enemy and get out of the way of renewal. That's what it looks like to put off and to put on. So you just put off the old way of thinking. You put off the old desire, put off the old actions, and you just day by day, repeated over and over and over again, you put on the new. And you become this person that you are recreated to be. That's how it works. That's what it looks like daily, little by little. You take in the mind of Christ through his word. You take in the love of Christ by loving what he loves. And you take on the actions of Christ by doing what he does. And that's how it works. And that's how you get out of the way. Let me pray. Um, Our Father, we are so thankful for this passage um, that shows us just how it is you work in our life. And Father, I pray for each one of us. Um, Lord, we've all got a red lizard or two on our shoulders. Things that we'd be ashamed of if anyone else knew about. But Lord, you know what they are. And so Father, I pray that through the gospel, through your spirit, Lord, that you would do away with that in our lives. Lord, that as, as we live, we would take on the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ and the actions of Christ. And Lord, that we would be renewed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.